0: a little bit controversial. It's not so controversial in this text, but it does get a little controversial. And the title of today's sermon is, How Deep Is Your Love? How Deep Is Your Love? And that's going to be really important, especially when we consider the things that we want to do as a church for this community. You start to realize it will only go as far, we will only get as much done as the depth of our love for the lost. Now, I mentioned last week at the end of the sermon, I said, there are several things that people will tell you, this is what I won't do. And they'll set the limit for love. I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. But what we often never hear from people is what they would do for love. What would you give up? What would you do in order to see someone you love in the position they need to be in? And, by the way, to set any limits on our love is a contradiction to what it means to be a Christian, seeing that the fact that we are even Christians is because of something that God gave up, which is his son. That is that what I talked about last week, that rational, immeasurable love. But we would have the nerve to say that we have a limit in the depth of our love. And I will tell you this before I say anything else. The only measuring stick for the depth of our love, it is not horizontal, right? So you don't look at your neighbor and say, well, how does he treat his wife or the person down the street? How does she treat her husband? But the, the depth of our love begins and ends on the cross. And that's our measuring stick. And so when we look at the people we know and the people we don't know, if the way that we love falls short Of Christ then we are not fulfilling our call as believers. Now Paul is going to say something here that is questionable. He is going to say something in our text that is controversial and I do think it's interesting that he actually doubles down on what he says here. So what is it going to mean for us? Well for those that you know who aren't saved... My question for you, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to give up to see the people you know who aren't saved, saved? How deep is the love that we have for the lost? And y'all, we as a church will only go as far as that love goes. Deep, deep level relationships. So what does it take? Go with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 9. We're starting in the first verse. We're going to read down to verse number 5. And So it says, this is Paul again, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. His first statement. His second, doubling down on it. He says, I am not lying. My conscience bears witness, bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I could myself be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all and blessed forever. Amen. And so as he begins here, we notice something that Paul right off the way says that is interesting. And he says, just in case you got too cluttered up in all the words, essentially what he's saying is, I wish that if I could no longer be in relationship with Christ, that I could do that so that people I know would be in relationship with Christ. It made me think, You know, the sermon is, how deep is your love? And it made me think about the last few weeks. We all witnessed what happened with that Ocean Gate submarine. When it went down the depths, and we even talked about it in Bible study, like, I ain't going more than a few feet down in the water, and I can swim. And I heard a lot of people say, look, if you know something is that dangerous, if you know that you can go to that depth, and there's no way you can get out, why would you do that in the first place And Man, I agree. But then I started thinking, I think we also take that same approach that we take towards that submarine and we apply that to life and love and people. Well, we can see that there are real people, y'all, real souls, real people who have been abused or mistreated or just have horrific sins. And we look at them and we think that's an ocean. And in order for me to love them, it is going to require me to go deeper, further than what is safe for me. And most of us, when we look at people that are difficult to love, we say, I ain't going that deep. We look at people the same way we looked at that submarine. That's too far. What if I get in too deep and there's no way for me to recover? And so when we see people that are hard to love, dangerous to love, we avoid them. And so I think that's why when we we think about what does the church lack in quality, in depth, that the world often gets right is that regardless, they'll love you. We, though, should be leading that charge. You'll notice right off when you see this text, Paul is bothered. He is deeply disturbed here. And I think the reason that we can see how deeply disturbed he is is because he emphasizes by two things. He says, I speak the truth. And then he doubles down and he's like, I am not lying. And we know if he is saying that before he says whatever he says, then whatever he is going to say is going to be a dramatic statement. And it was. He says that he has great anguish, sorrow and pain for his brothers. Now, Paul is not talking literally about his brothers, but he was talking about all of Israel and the Jews, specifically those who had denied Christ. And he says, I am grieving over their lostness. Now, why does he have so much grief? Well, I think it's the same grief that a people feels when they see their own people self-destruct. That is the grief that we see when we see a person harming themselves or when we see black on black crime or sibling rivalry. What we see is people who are self-destructing. And so what happens here is Paul is watching people that he loved, but more specifically, people that God had favored, people that God had chosen, and they're turning their backs on God. These were the same men that he grew up with persecuting Christians. But now, Paul is at this dramatic change, this dramatic change in his outlook on life. And he is essentially saying I would give anything I could in order to see them saved, even if it cost my own salvation. Paul sounds a little crazy to me. Maybe this seems extreme to us, but what about when you first came in contact with Christ? Don't you remember the fire that you felt? Don't you remember the zeal that you had? If so, was it that same zeal that we feel when we got to preach to every single person we come across? You need Jesus. You need to be saved. Every person becomes an opportunity to share the gospel. But why? Why is it that when we first become Christians, there's this fire and this zeal that seemingly wanes? Well, I think early on, there's proximity. There is still a proximity to lostness. You can still easily remember not only your own lostness, but you can remember how lostness shaped your own life. You can easily remember the decisions you made, the things you said, the places you went, the things you did. And you can easily see yourself, your lostness, in the losses of others because you're close but unfortunately what often happens is as we grow in salvation we just get callous and we develop an attitude of tolerance toward the lost I mean we put up with them but we are not actively seeking to see reconciliation for them. How does this happen? Well, it happens because of a loss of proximity to the lost. It is isolationism. It is what I like to call that church cult culture. The further removed you are, the less concerned you become about it no matter how concerned you once were about it. I remember when we lived in our first house, our first house was a blessing, but it was right in front of some train tracks. And me and Christy hated hearing that train. And I remember all we did was talk about, we're going to call somebody, we're going to do something, we're going to tell the folk, because they blowing this horn at 12 o'clock midnight. We trying to sleep. They're breaking all sorts of noise requirements. We were bent on doing something about it. But then we sold that house. And you know, I ain't thought about that train once. I am unconcerned about what that train is doing to those people over there. I moved out. And so the thing that I was once so concerned about I don't even care about it anymore. Y'all, this is a tendency not just for Christians, but for all people, to get out. I want to be as far removed from my past, my pain, my trouble as possible. This is that culture of you got to remove the negative people out your life. Well, start with yourself. There is this tendency as we grow in our faith to want to be away from the people that the Lord has actually called us to in the first place. To be separate from the world in this unusual, unhealthy way is a loss of proximity and concern. And that's not what we see here with Paul. Paul says, if my being cut off could save them, then I would pick that option. And if you think he's crazy, Moses actually prayed the exact same prayer in Exodus 32, 31. It says, So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, What does he say? He says, "Block me out of your book that you have written my name. They both, Moses and Paul, said, if you could count me out so that others could be counted in, I would pick that option. Now, you may say, well, they didn't mean that literally. But it does at least show their heart. And I was so interested in this because as a person who normally has a heart of anger towards the lost, I didn't see that with Paul. Yeah, he got frustrated. But the people he got the angriest with were not the lost. It was us. What we see with him, what we see with Moses, it's not anger. It's grief. Think about that. They are grieving over the lost. They are not here angrily wagging their fist. but there's grief. How do you respond differently in anger versus in grief? As long as anger wins out, as long as we are angry toward the lost, We will always take the attitude of this. Well, that's what they deserve. But y'all, as Christians, we cannot be believers who are simply waiting for the unbelievers to be judged. Our hope and our anticipation needs to be for them to be saved. Grief, or maybe a better word than grief, is compassion. It motivates you to want to do something to resolve the situation, not just complain about it. Think about Joseph. Think about all that his brothers had done to him. And think about what happens when they come to him. If he were just angry, he wouldn't have done a thing for them. But I like what the scripture says in Genesis 43 and 30. It says, then Joseph hurried out. And listen to the words here. For his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber, and he wept there. He was so moved by compassion where he could have been angry. Some of us would even argue he should have been angry. But in seeing them, knowing how broken they were, instead of returning evil for evil... He weeps for them. Moved y'all by compassion. But I think we see this even clearer than with Joseph, with Jesus. In Mark six thirty four, it says, when he went ashore, Jesus saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. But why? It says, because they were like sheep, but sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Y'all, when we look in the world, what we see are sheep. But they're sheep without a shepherd. Just yesterday, I bought something from a young lady. And she came to the house, and she dropped it off. And I asked her, I was like, why are you selling stuff and she said well I can't afford to pay my rent so I'm selling stuff to kind of make ends meet and so as the conversation grew I asked her I was like well like what are some of your big expenses and she mentioned her car and I said okay well what's your interest rate like I used to be a banker I know a little bit and she said oh it's good it's real good I said okay so I'm expecting good she goes it's real good it's 12 percent I said, huh? She said, no, it's 12%. It's it's good. Most people pay like 39%. I said, that's usury. Nobody pays that. And so I'm sitting here, and as we talk more and more, she said, well, you know, ever since my mother died, I just take the information as I get it. And I realized, that all the decisions that she was making, though they felt right for her, she had nobody to lead her. She had nobody to direct her. She was a sheep, just like all of us. But guess what she didn't have? She never a shepherd. And when I heard that, I didn't just think about her, but I thought about a community of people. Project this. A community of people, a world of people who are making decisions every single day thinking that they are making the right decisions. Look, the Bible makes it clear. It says that the way that the lost take, they take it not because it seems wrong. They take it because it seems to them to be right. There is a way that seems to be right to man, but the way that they are on leads to destruction. That happens because there are people, sheep, running around, but they don't have a shepherd. What we have to do is draw the lost sheep into the fold of Christ where he can shepherd them. Y'all, compassion, if we are going to have it, it is a work of mercy. All of us must major in mercy. When Jesus tells the parable of the Samaritan in the Acts, He says, of all the people that priest, the preacher passed them, when the Levite, when they passed them, of all the people that was the most neighborly to this person who was on the side of the road dying. He said, which one was like a neighbor? He says it was the one who had mercy on him. It all comes down to. To mercy. Why would Paul suggest being cut off? Because he knows essentially Christ was cut off. On the cross, Jesus was cut off from the Father, which is why he asked why he had been forsaken. In other words, he's saying, Why have I been cut off from you? Jesus was cut off so that we wouldn't be. Paul's passion for the people around him is akin to the same feelings that Jesus had about us. This is what moved and motivated Paul. Is this what moves and motivates us? I remember being a kid, I understood it a little bit not later when I got a degree in history, but I remember being a kid, I, and I'll just be honest, like I try to be as real as possible, like I just didn't understand why Harriet Tubman was special. In my mind as a kid, I'm like, she just rescued some people. She just went in, got some people, took them out, but I didn't realize She just didn't function like most of us. She didn't get out and stay out. You know what she did? She got out and she went back in. She got out and she went back in. She got out and she went back in. And I realized that every time she went back in, Having attained freedom, she subjected herself to captivity again. She was willing to be cut off from freedom so that others could be free. Y'all, as special as that is, what Jesus did is even greater than what she did. Jesus subjected himself to human flesh to suffering, to pain and grief and loss. He descended from perfect freedom to be with the captives. But he did that to set the captives free. If the call is for us to be like Christ then we must do what Christ has done. He condescended from eternity. He stepped out of comfort. He came out of freedom to come into captivity. Captive to the same torment endured by us. Remember, Paul says it. He says, Jesus Emptied himself out. He poured himself out. The love of Jesus literally poured out of him in his blood on the cross. And it must be the same for us. Every single day we must live lives that are being poured out. So my question. Do you love on reserve? Or is it being poured out of you? This is the first half, But he goes on and he explains his grief further. He says that they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God overall. And I think what Paul is saying here, y'all, is he said the shame here is that you as Israelites have what the Gentiles don't. You've got the resources, you've got the law, you've got the worship, you've got the promise, you've got the patriarchs. Jesus came from your lineage, yet you don't even desire him. Have you ever seen someone with all the resources, all the opportunity, all the ability to be great and wasted? And then you see someone without that same opportunity, without the same ability, without the same resources push through what they have to go through and they attain what that person needs could have attained. What pains Paul is that he knows that even though these Jews were born into the right family, it wasn't enough. With all the opportunity they had, they wasted it. But his hope is that their eyes would be opened. He hopes that for them there will be the revelation of truth. Because he knows at the end of the day, y'all have the foundation. And I think this is where most of us get stuck. We see a person with potential, with all the potential in the world. But it's like we just don't know how to get them to become what the Lord has gifted them to be. What do we do? Have you ever been so broken over a family member, over a friend, that you could see if they could just get it together, if they could just get themselves in the right position? Have you ever wept and prayed that the Lord would just get a hold of somebody, hoping that they would change? seeing them on a destructive path. How deep, how far, how high, or how low are you willing to go for that person? Y'all, like I said at the beginning, I'm saying as we close, the measurement of love starts on the cross and it disseminates from there So, not only do I need to love like Paul loved, but the real question is, do I love the way that Jesus has loved me? And if that is the standard, do I realize how transformative the love of Christ actually is? Just loving someone through their pains, loving someone through their sins, A love that doesn't excuse who they are, but a love that also doesn't condemn who they are. Let me tell you, that kind of love is exhausting. You stay up at night, you worry, you pray, you cry, you sweat. but you hope. You hope that all that praying, all that crying will lead to real change. And so my question, how deep is your love? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word today. It is a question that all of us are going to have to wrestle with, God. How deep Is our love, how far are we willing to go for the lost? What are the depths? What steps are we willing to take? How far are we willing to go to see people that we love or that we don't even know come to faith in you? God, ultimately, it is only the gospel that transforms. But God, we also have to realize that we hope in a redemption of the whole of a person. We hope for their redemption spiritually, but we also hope for their redemption bodily, God, and emotionally as well. And if that means that we overextend ourselves or put ourselves in a position that may be uncomfortable for us, God, let us do that because at the end of the day, that is exactly the same love that Christ has had for us. God, if you have called us to do greater exploits, that will be that we are doing the work that is required of us as believers, as Christians. God, I pray for anyone in this room, one who has that person in mind or those people in mind, they know that you have called them to. God, I pray that whatever their excuses are, they faded away today. They dissipated. They are gone. And let them know and realize that there is a depth of love required of them. That's my first prayer. But God, I know that there are probably people even now in this room who are on the ocean floor. And there are some of us standing on the shore and we see them down there, God. And they are just praying that someone would come down and rescue them. Lord, only Jesus can save us the way we truly need to be saved. And So my prayer is that as they heard the word today, they would realize that Jesus gave up his life. He paid the sin debt that was on our account so that we would have eternal life and we could live debt free. This is my prayer. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.